Okay. It was nice to launch these things on time. Who's got the nice birds chirping? I like that. That's Reed. Nice, Reed. Well, I got some, I got some chirping in mind, but nah, I think that's me. Reed is in the woods. I'm we in the concrete jungle. You in the woods too, though. I am, but I'm I'm hermetically sealed. <laughs> it might be. I think it actually might be mine. Yeah, exactly. Nice. It's very nice. Look at look. See, look at Reed's stone wall. Look at that stone wall back there. She's in the right place. All right. So get ready, everyone. I'm gonna hit this broadcast button and we're gonna be hot for everyone, okay? Okay. All right, three, two, one, here we go. All right, hello everybody out there. Um, listen, thanks for joining. Uh, wow, first off, we wanna say that um, the response to this round table that we've put together has been exceptional. And uh, we've got a lot of people on Zoom and we've also got a lot of people live streaming on YouTube as well. So uh, just so everybody knows, cause there's been a bunch of questions, this will be recorded and it's gonna be placed in the vault in our website. So if you feel that you've gotta go back or you, Somebody you know says, oh my God, I wish I would have caught that because I know that Brad and Reed are gonna tell me how to make my life better, then go to the website and check it out. These, these things will all be archived, okay? Um, so since you've all come here to hear them speak, I don't have to give too much of an introduction, um, but we have with us here tonight, Bradford Young and Reed Murano. Um, I'm gonna clap for you guys because I know out there in virtual land, everybody's clapping, hello, hello. Let's show the love. Um, all right, listen, before we begin, we all as a group, including Reed here, uh, we think it's very important uh, before we get into this discussion that we'd like to take a moment of silence, um, you know, here today to honor so far 435,000 people worldwide have died of COVID as of today. That's the reported deaths. Um, so that's out there for all of us to think about. Um, and the other thing as well, which is very important, which is coming in the wake of what COVID has brought us, is we also would like to honor all of our black and brown brothers and sisters, as well as our First Nations brothers and sisters, whose lives have been taken by the hands of police brutality and other senseless acts of violence here in the United States and all around the world. This is not just a USA thing. You see this all around the world and people are standing up and taking notice. So we'd like to collectively now in the virtual space while we're all together, let's just take a little moment of silence for all of that, okay? Thank you. Okay, thank you everybody. That's much appreciated by everyone involved here uh, that you're watching. So, um, so it's something interesting, right? It's, it, it's been at least a hundred years since our industry, our professionals um, have been sidelined in mass like we all are today. Um, and this is obviously a brand new experience for all of us, right? Everybody being kept home together at the same time. This, this is absolutely unheard of. It's never been done in any of our lifetimes. Um, and this is really what we're trying to explore today with, with Brad and Reed, um, because they're parents and there's a lot of people out there who are parents. And you know, this is a tough industry on people who are parents. And 
you know, COVID and the demands for everything that's going on in, in socially and within the institution of our business is I think causing all of us to rethink, right? How things are done personally and professionally. Um, all this time at home for all of us has, has, has forced many people within the industry, right? To reimagine what is it gonna be like when we go back to work and what exactly does that mean? you know, going back to work. And, you know, we've had times to reflect and do things differently. So, you know, I'm curious and we'll start this conversation going because I know it's going to organically flow, but, you know, Reed, uh, first I'd like to ask you, like, you know, this time that you've been at home, um, you know, what has your process been and what are you doing to stay creative in, in all of this? Um, well, when I, when, when, um, the lockdown first started, basically I was in the middle of shooting a series that I'm doing right now. And so I was basically only two thirds of the way through that shoot. So I came back from there and pretty much like a week or two later, I um, I thought I was gonna have all this time. Like, you know, um, we picked up like lights. My, um, my kid's dad owns like a lighting company. And so we like picked up lights and stuff. And we thought we were gonna like make a movie with the kids at, a at my um, house, which is on like a lake and it's in the woods. So we were like, okay, we're gonna make a horror film. But um, as it turns out, I've been like, you know, I pretty much had to start editing the footage that we had shot for about a week after I got back. So there was, that was great because I could keep my head in that project. And I pretty much have been editing it up until a week ago. And, um, you know, I'm gonna continue actually until we go back to shooting. So we, I've been lucky in that respect where I could keep my head in the game. And I've been, you know, working really long hours because my editors are in the UK, so it's remote editing. So it's been a little hard because I've wanted to just do nothing and hang out with my kids more, but um, you know, I gotta keep the train moving and, and it was very, it's encouraging for everyone on the show and I'm enjoying it, you know? Well, that's good. That's, that's, I mean, that's definitely good. That's a different situation. Like you're definitely, you had something to carry into this COVID lockdown to continue with now. What about you, Brad? What's been your situation? Um, I'm not working. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on getting to know my kids, man, which, you know, getting to know my wife. You know, I've been gone for like the last six years, you know, so not gone. Not, that's that's extreme. I've, I've been home, but you know how it is. We're in and out. Um, <clears throat> so when I was, I was on a show in Mexico, well, prepping a show in Mexico, and when that when all this started going down, I came home. And so I've been at the crib since March 13th. And, um, you know, a lot of things have transpired since then. You know, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, the whole slew of emotions. <laughs> so my, my, my son's teacher, they were on a Zoom call and, they, and uh, this, is, this, is after, this, is, this is after everything started popping off after the, after the murder of George, George Floyd and the teacher wanted to know what the kids were feeling and uh, got to my son and he said, all feelings. And it was a little bit of a silence. Like, <laughs> and she said, wait, like, what do you mean? Like, what, is there a specific feeling? And he was like, no, I'm having all the feelings, you know? And that's kind of how I feel like it's been. It's been like a whole, you know, that first few days of like, okay, well, 
what's going on that fear that first few days of fear you know like man i gotta stay away i gotta i gotta stay away from folks i gotta stay inside we gotta keep the kids safe mainly you know um and then that whole like that next week where you're like oh i realized that my whole creative energy my whole energy as an artist my identity as an artist has been defined by somebody else's vision so you start having a crisis <laughs> Like, like, oh, I'm not going to work unless somebody gives me a job. And then you're like, oh, wow. So now I got to start figuring out how, how to make art, you know, figuring out how to, like, be a cinematographer in dark times, you know, and what's the story I want to tell. Um, and then I tried to force myself, you know, I'm going to make something, I'm going to make something, I'm going to make something. You know, a couple of friends and I decided we were going to go on that journey. And then, you know, of course, those ideas don't come to you. They don't fall out of the sky, right? You got to wait for them to come and touch you. And, uh, you know, so then you get a little impatient, but then you, then you get that beautiful silence where you're waiting for things to put their hands on you creatively. And, um, and these things started flowing, you know, just, and then, I, and then I stopped forcing it. And then I just kind of sat still. Once I sat still, man, I realized I had children, man. I got kids. I got beautiful, three beautiful kids. And I have an eight-month-old daughter that if I was in Mexico shooting, I would not know. I wouldn't know her until she was eight months, you know what I mean? So... I'm taking every day, man, just to be with my kids, man, and try to be present, you know, which, you know, I was not able to be as present as I would have wanted to before. So, um, and, 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 you know, I get a chance to, you know, we get a chance to like see, Reed, I'm curious how, how it's developed for you. I think we may have talked about it a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> this COVID thing brought a lot of stuff. It, highlight, it brought a lot of stuff to the surface. Like the school system is a joke, man. It's a joke. <laughs> it's, a, it's a straight joke. And, yeah, it is and it's, yeah, and I'm like, man, are these kids ever going back to school? Not not meaning are they ever going back to school with COVID, what's going on with COVID, but like literally, like philosophically, are we sending these children back to these schools? Like we need to figure out a way to like keep these kids at home and let them be with their parents and their community and their friends. And, you know, people in my community are thinking the same thing, you know? Um, you know, so it's the, those kind of things come out and you get, you get, you get your, you get yourself handed to you a little bit, but once you get in that motion, man, you realize, man, how much stuff we get handed to us and how much we don't, it's, it's hard for us to activate as filmmaker, activate things because things are happening for us. But now it's a moment where we got to work hard, you know, keep the family together, keep the love and inside the house and let, let the kids and your par partner know you see them and you feel them, which we don't always get a chance to do, so. I'm loving it, man. This is like me too. This is like <laughs> I don't really want to go. I I don't want to leave or go back to work. Like I wasn't upset when it just kept extending and extending. I was more, you know, worried. I also came back to I don't know if I didn't tell you guys this. Or I did tell you this, Brad, but mm -hmm. I I came back to when I got home to my apartment in Brooklyn. I came back to like an eviction notice because. Um, it was dated February 28th. I got back March 15th and um, no one lives at my house but me. So, and the kids when they're with me. But when I got back, I saw that. I was like, what the heck? They were going to kick out the whole building to make condos. And I wasn't due, I wasn't supposed to come back until like May, beginning of May, mid May or June. And it was like, you had to be out by May 31st. And I would not have seen that I mean I'm sure they would have emailed me but I would have been like in the middle of shooting and then my building would just be like we're gonna take legal action we're kicking everyone out so I had to move to also during this time where I was like could any more you know I mean really like so lucky yeah. you know my situation but um 
yeah, I just wish, you know, I want it to last for a while because it's like, I feel like I got so much closer with both my kids, even the one who's like bordering on being a teenager. So he's, he's definitely pulling back a little, but you know, it's amazing. It's an amazing silver lining to this insane thing that's happening. Yeah. I mean, you, you know what it is, <clears throat> what it is and what's interesting is it's these moments, right? When there's some seismic shift, when people want to change, you know, so we're, we're, our, our business has always mirrored society in lots of ways, right? So there's a lot going on now. And I think there's a lot of people thinking about <clears throat> how our business has been run for so long, how we shoot, how long we shoot, how long it sometimes it takes to do things. And there's been a lot of discussion from a lot of different people. And a lot of the questions that have been coming in from people <clears throat> are about what changes do we see within the industry or that, you know, we would like, <clears throat> excuse me, to see happen as we're going back. Now, could you guys say a little something about that? Thoughts? Well, I, you wanna go, you go first. No, no, go ahead, Reed. No, 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 you go ahead. Okay. Um, I mean, I've been working, we, we talked about this the other day, but I've been working on the last couple of jobs I've done have been in Europe. So we've had automatically just French hours. And, you know, I know that's not a thing that can work. Maybe that's not even where we want this conversation to go right now, Doug, but no, no, that's, that's good. I just think about, I've had those, I've had that situation on all these shoots where I'm not with my family and I'm only with them for certain amounts of time. And it's just like, I was like, this would be so great if only I was going home at the end of the day. Um, and then, you know, I get back to America to be on a shoot where I am at home and I am living with my, and I have my kids there. And then I, you know, it's back to like 14, 16, whatever, however many hour days. And, um, you know, I just think it's a very, I get why we need, I get why we need a certain system, you know, and I want my, I care about my crews like more than anything, you know, um, you know, the only thing I care about more than that is my own kids, you know, um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think that, that, you know, if we were able to do something similar to that, if we were able to sort of take, you know, do the 10 hours straight and do what you, you know, what we were talking about the other day, it's just people could get, maybe there's a way we can still make it so that our crews can make the money that they need, but we also have a civilized quality of life because we are not having a quality of life here. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good point. And Brad, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's where I am, man. My, 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 my goal right now is, is, is to maintain this quality of life that I have right now, you know, because it not only gives me a lot of time to reflect on the work that I'm doing, but also gives me a lot of time to reflect on the condition of the people I love the most, you know, which is, it's, it's all right when you're away and you're at a distance and you, you're feeling all the emotional tidal waves of things that are happening in front of you. But it's, 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 it's one thing to, it's one thing to be, to be away versus another thing. It's the other thing is to be engaged, you know? And, yeah. um, and I think, you know, I think we, 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 we're in an industry, you know what I mean? And everything's treated like an industry. It's everything's a conveyor belt. It's like in and out, in and out, in and out. And, uh, you know, every, you know, other, other than the other, other than the artists, 
and a few, you know, really people that mean well, you know, most is for most people is is product, you know what I mean? So the whole idea of um, this whole idea of, of getting things done is like, it's hyper, you know, it's re it, 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 um, capitalism, capitalism always shows itself in the process in a very intense way. And um, the problem is that, you know, it, it doesn't make it artist centric, you know, it doesn't make it artist centric. And I feel like a lot of stuff that we've appreciated over the last 10 years, or a lot of stuff that, you know, could have been, you know, knocked out of the park didn't happen because there's not enough time and we are not in a situation where we're always provided with things that we need to keep us inspired beyond just the material the script or the actors or the lighting or the camera work you know there's also a whole other thing that's happening in the background for an artist that inspires that person to make a make the contribution to a film or make a contribution to a piece of art and for us it's very collaborative so it's not just the folks that are like out in the dirt every day that get a chance to be on a webinar, but it's also the cats in the background who play, play, play way, way in the background, you know, and they don't get a chance. I mean, they're the first ones and the last ones out. Like at least we get to come an hour later and we get to leave as soon as wrap, you know what I mean? So um, I'm hoping we can really like, I'm really, I'm really interested in changing models. I'm really interested in changing, you know, there's a lot of conversation about uh, dismantling structural things, you know what I mean? I'm really interested in kind of questioning the structural reality of how we make this stuff. Cause for me, it's, to me, it's clear that it's not sustainable, you know? And part of the reason why it's not sustainable because it's not family community centric. And um, we're artists, you know what I mean? We come out of an experience and that experience is the experience of a community, you know, and nobody, not to say anybody, everybody in the community has the same, same experience, but there's a belief, there's an ethos, there's a culture that a community, you know, um, uh, stands on, and uh, that's what that's where the arts comes from. That's where the stories come from, and so it's kind of short. It's kind of um, it's kind of short-sighted for us to not put family first. I mean, listen, you know, um, just as an example, you know, one of the things that I really loved about working for Lucas Films is that it was family-centric. You know what I mean? Like I felt like my family was taken care of, and I was able to like stay energized because of that. Um, now. The result of that in the work, it might be very like this. The, the result may be so esoteric that you can't see it in the work, and I'm okay with that. But at least in the moment, I was really inspired, you know, because I was, I was able to see my kids. You know what I mean? I was able to put them at least read a book to them and have have my whole weekend, and nobody was calling me and bothering me. You know what I mean? And that that matters. You know what I mean? That matters. And so I, I'm hoping that we can really, amongst a whole checklist of other stuff, I'm hoping we can like really think about a new model you know what I mean a more egalitarian thing a more sustainable most favored nations thing where everybody is thinking everybody's contribution is recognized and we're and because of our contribution we're given time to reflect on the material so that the next day we come back we can do what I believe is inevitably a better job like all of us want to do better it's not like you knock it out the same every day, the next day is an opportunity to do better work. And so you can't do that work. You can't make that contribution if you never have time to breathe or you never have time to rest. And so for me, this time it's just like, I don't wanna go back to that old way. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna rest, you know what I mean? Like I wanna get sleep and I wanna be able to think about what I've done the day before and, and improve, you know? Yeah. yeah, and that's a powerful thing. And, and, you know, we have a lot of young filmmakers who are out there who, you know, really, really uh you guys resonate with them and you know it, it, one of the important things you just discussed there was the idea of teamwork right the idea of 
And that's a thing that I've always thought was very important to make sure that young filmmakers understand that, you know, you know, the model has been slowly changing since I've been around, right? The director used to be this person that three people could talk to and this, that, and the other, like back in my early days, handful of guys, you can't look at them, you can't do this, you know, but at least now we've gotten to the part where people understand directors are human beings too, they're people. And the idea is the directors that I find that are really great and interesting are the ones that understand this team model, right? Where it's like, it's, it's, it's not a one man show. And that's an important thing that I think is always good to let young filmmakers know and understand, you know, is that when you're out there, you're, you're, you know, you're not trying to blaze a trail on your own. It is about these people that you bring in with yourself. And another thing I just wanted to mention for young filmmakers that might not know when we talk about French hours, what we mean is a 10 hour shooting day with no lunch break. This is something that's very standard in Europe and South America. And everyone knows here in the States, we operate by different laws and different bylaws and different operating system. But in most other parts of the world, where exactly as, as Bradford Reed has said, you know, people like to enjoy their time. So it's like 10 hour, I don't need to worry about breaking for a meal. We'll come in, we'll work 10 hours and then we go home. So that gives everybody, you know, more time at the end of the day for themselves and their family, you know? Yeah. I was I was gonna say, I was gonna say you know listen we should recognize that that's a and that's a, no matter what relative to the masses of the people we make a living wage you know what I mean um, most people on film sets make a living wage you know what I mean whether it be the person cleaning up after us who's a who's a sanitation worker to you know the PA who's running whatever they run for us you know what I mean most people make relative to minimum wage in America most people are making what we would consider living wage so all of this is coming from a, a place of privilege, but you know, this doesn't dismiss the fact that, that we need analysis, you know, we need analysis. And I think even more no, now more than ever, we need the analysis. I was, I was gonna, I was, I've said it before, I've said it some, some other places that, you know, I think the other thing that I'm hoping that we can do is, um, you know, I think now everybody's really thinking about building community, like this idea of building community is really important. And, um, you know, one of the things I know, re, re, you know, we all three of us can attest to this is that, you know, what are we going to do? What's, I think, because I think we don't have a choice now. We have to figure out ways to like maintain and sustain collective ways of making art, you know, especially for us as filmmakers, so collaborative. And the model so far has been, you know, there's a community of filmmakers that are making a film and there's a director and that director hires person, that person's empowered to hire, create jobs, create an industry, a local industry for people that would be doing something else with their life. Who knows what it would be, but they're making films and it's collaborative and we know how happy we are on set with each other, with our friends and people that we're making art with and being very impressed. And then those films go to film festivals. At some point, it's plucked from the community and sent off into the ether on their own and everybody that followed them or went with them or was with them up to that point is kind of left to like fend for themselves, you know? And I think the thing to really stress to young people in this time is that we're not gonna be making films the way we used to make films. You know what I mean? That whole model is like, it's about to be dead, you know? And so, and if it's not dead, it's gonna be a, a, crippled, a crippled beast. So we gotta really come up with new ways of figuring out how to stick together make films together and be, um, we need to collectivize our efforts which we have not um, always been encouraged to do. So I'm hoping that more than anything, we can put pressure to keep ourselves together. You know what I mean? There's, you know, in every city in America, there's a crew of artists 
who are using motion picture to express themselves, especially young people. And I'm, and I'm, my dream is that those, those collectives stay together, you know, that they grow and they, you know, they stretch and they, they expand their understanding and their vision, but it's an industry, you know what I mean? Like we're, we create jobs, you know what I'm saying? In this time where jobs are an issue and unemployment is an issue and, you know, the people's ability to take care of themselves and their family, you know, what better way to support industry and support people's ability to uh, thrive spiritually on every level while, you know, we should be asking folks to help support and may help maintain um, these collectives, you know, people that are organized around making film and they make powerful films. I mean, the lion's share of stuff that we like is made in communities, you know, community settings. So I'm hoping that this time will shift. We'll prioritize that because we have to in, in certain ways. That's powerful. That's powerful. And Reed, I wanted to ask you something because, um, you know, we had a lot of questions come in and, uh, you know, Reed, I mean, you are a, a shiny example for a lot of filmmakers out there. And one question in particular that I wanted to ask you and share, uh, and I'll read it verbatim because it's, it's a wonderful question. Um, um, it's uh, from, uh, you know, someone we have out there, Arlo Gordon. Um, I fear that I won't be able to financially support my future children if my career doesn't take off at a certain point. I dream too of both being a mom and a director one day. How did you maintain the faith in your talent during the hard times and not let future trip and sabotage your ambitions? I guess uh, it's a great question. I have, a, I have, when I was starting out, I, I set sort of not huge goals every step of the way. Um, like, you know, when, around the time when I was starting a family, it was actually the same time I was just hoping and praying I would get a feature in Sundance. Mm -hmm. I went into everything with blind faith. I, I, it's also partially, I think, just my personality. It's not everyone's personality. I know it's not because I have people in my life who balance me out, who, who do worry and they need planning. They need that security. But the most planning I did before I went and just dove in to have kids was like Googling, you know, I knew I was gonna have to move out of my apartment in the city. And so finding an apartment that, you know, we could afford if only one of us was working in indie film at that time. And we were working in, you know, on indie features and, and um, in reality shows, you know, which can be more of a way to sort of keep yourself afloat while you do the creative projects you want to do in between those seasons. You can have like a regular, that's not a hard, that's a place where anybody really can work. And I'm not saying it's like, it's just that it exists all over the place, at least in the main cities, and and they always need people. And there's so much content. Yeah, it sucks if you can't do like, I mean, I waited for, you know, it took me about six years to find a feature that was the type of genre I wanted to shoot. And that was this movie called Frozen River. And I basically, probably for that six years, every single day, I was on Craigslist crew gigs and Mandy.com, just applying to every single job. Bringing back that pain, boy. I remember that. <laughs> so painful. And, and, I, and, I, and I did everything on earth under the sun while I was doing that until I got my first um, steady gig, which was a, was a reality show. So I did so much for free. And, and the person who's asked this question is probably beyond that. But 
I did a lot of stuff I didn't want to do. I shot a, <laughs> I'm not saying, but you know, sometimes you have to go, you have to tr make trade-offs to do the other things in life you want to do. And I would encourage people to do, to do that. If they have to take the secure job, even if it isn't the favorite job, if it's important to you to have a family and at a certain time and everybody's goals are different and everyone's needs are different. And I don't think everyone needs to have a family and I don't think it's for everyone. And I think the people that do shouldn't be afraid to, they're not going to like get forgotten in the industry. It's like better than ever at the time when I was having kids, you know, 10, the last, my, my other, you know, my youngest son's turning 10. Um, it was very much less accepted, but I just brought my kid. I just, I was shooting a, a home improvement show literally where there were table saws, paint fumes, everything. And I just stayed on that show and operated the camera and with my, you know, up until I was like eight months pregnant. And then when the, when my son was born, I brought him to set in a little bassinet and made my sister come to set and watch him. Wow. Wow. And then wow. we took the kids all over, you know, and then we took the kids on all these shoots. Not everybody has that same ability, but it I think now it's more open, but it, we have to make it even more open. But I think, you know, you have to sometimes go through a less desirable moment for the security of your family to get to, but that doesn't mean you have to give up what you're doing. And you before you know it, you are just back in it again. You know, I stayed, when I had my kids, I basically took six months, uh, you know, I took like a month before they were born and then a couple of months after they were born and then I was back at work. It was hard, but now I feel like I'm straying away from what the question was. Nah, you know, you no, 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 you're, no, you're on it. I mean, it's just about, it's about, you know, family and, and what you've had to do to continue to chase your dream and still, have family, you know? I just didn't, I just was like taking it one step at a time. I wasn't like, I didn't come out of film school and think I could be a director, actually. I came out of film school thinking, I have no idea how people direct, but let me just at least try to be a DP on on um, a feature. There was very simple goals. And then once I started DPing a couple features, let me, it was like, or when I first came out of school, it was actually, let me first try to get a job that's paid. Right. Any job. And then it was like, let me DP a feature. And then it was like, okay, now maybe I could get a steady job. And then it was like, okay, maybe now I could get a feature that people actually see. Like I need to get a feature that goes to Sundance. And then, and once I got the feature that went to Sundance, then I was like, I want to get another one, but then people saw it. And one thing led to another. And once your, your work is out there and you have a particular thing you bring to it, or you've worked with enough people in your community, your film community, people will continue to call you until you tell them to stop calling you. Right. Well, that, that's, you know, that's a very valuable lesson because I give, I talk to young kids all the time and I say, you know, nobody starts out in this business saying, oh my God, I'm going to get rich doing this. And nobody, like what you're saying exactly, the little baby steps. And I always tell people this one thing, I go, the film business is a series of concentric circles. You start with a little tiny web and the more you work, the bigger it gets, the more you work, the bigger it gets. And before you know it, you've got this big circle and you've got all these people on the inside that you've somehow or another spent time with over the years. You know, it's literally one of the few businesses in the world, like I've been doing 25 years and I look back and I go, oh yeah, I did have a career, you know, but it's not one of those things. It's so amazing when you say 
just one step at a time. It's like, you know, I, I think that's something everyone comes out with these huge step goals they want to take. And I think that's more detrimental than, as you just said, let me just take little steps, baby, you know, little steps to get there. Yeah. And another thing I would say too, to add to that is, and I know because I've talked about a lot, I've talked about it a lot with, with females in the industry who've asked me because they saw, you know, me with the kids and whatever on set and just like you're working long hours and then you come back and then your kids are like hanging on you. And, you know, I, when they were little, I would take them with me, but, um, there's, they're like, it's just, there's never a good time. Mm-hmm. And you know when it's the right time. And I was like, I got news for you. There is never a good time. There's really never a good time. When I decided to have kids, I basically, it was basically right when I, right when I shot that first feature that went to Sundance. So what ended up happening right after that was I couldn't get an agent for a while because I was pregnant. So I go, I got, after I shot Frozen River, I got, it had some success and I, and I got, you know, calls to kind of go to these meetings. And I remember sitting at a table um, in a, in a, you know, in a conference room. And I don't know if people would know I was pregnant or not. I was like four months pregnant or five months pregnant. And I was wearing like a baggy shirt, but I think they must've known, they knew because they were like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, this is like people really do ask this question. And I was like, well, I saw myself shooting and I wasn't even in the union or anything yet at that point. But I just was like, I see myself shooting bigger, um, bigger movies, you know, and exploring new genres. Why? Like, you know, like, right. I think they were wondering if I was just gonna go and be a mom. Um, and admittedly, like, you know, everybody's different. So you, somebody might have kids and then discover that that actually brings them greater joy than being on set. And I think you got to follow your heart. And sometimes you need to take a break in life and be with your kids to be creatively rejuvenated, I think, you know, to have that quality of life. I think it was, it was painful to go back to work after having kids because I wanted them, I was afraid they wouldn't know who I was, just like what you were saying earlier, Brad that you just have a baby daughter that you wouldn't have known her until she was eight months old. And it's heartbreaking. And that's, I was worried my kids weren't gonna know who I was and I wasn't okay with it. And, you know, it, it takes a lot. Anyways, it just, it, it, it's, it's very emotional, you know, it takes an emotional toll, but like, you can do it. All you have to do is just sort of set realistic goals. Like I'm going to go back to work in eight months or I'm going to go back to work in three months. And, and, you know, you can't, nothing is a guarantee, but you also, that's the beauty of life. Like if you have the ability to have kids, take that opportunity if you want it, because a lot of people who are desperate for that, who can't. You know, so I would say don't ignore that possibility if it's something that you want just because you're worried about getting out of the game. And I was that person, but I was also kind of um, bullheaded and spontaneous. And I basically just like Googled how much a nanny cost, got an apartment that was super cheap in Bed-Stuy and that was three bedrooms. And then I was like, okay, we're going to get a nanny and we're going to figure it out. Right. It was very, you know, spur of the moment decision, which 
I, I really wanted at that time. And I was, and so then, you know, I didn't get the agent right away. I lost a couple features that I went into interview for when I was pregnant, but I just kept going. I think that's the real thing. You can't, if you really love it, you will, you won't give up. But if you don't have, you know, you have to have that spirit of knowing it's not going to be like the, the, you know, it, it, it's not an instant trajectory. The whole journey was an adventure for me. Mm. And it was so long, you know, you know, I didn't shoot, I didn't shoot my first feature till, like I said, six years after college. And I, I mean, shoot my first feature that went to a film festival. And then I didn't, um, and that wasn't for a lack of trying. I was a temp secretary for a hedge fund so that I could work the hours I needed to and take whatever short film in the way. I shot a friend's film that was like about ninjas so that I would be able to use his camera for free whenever I wanted. Like, like, and you know, I did that on my weekends and I was a waitress and um, you know, you just do whatever you know, whatever it takes to, to get it done. And I think I was just enjoying, I never imagined in a million years that I would end up here in this position and having a conversation with, with, you know, a legend like Doug and then, you know, Brad, who is like, you know, just a superstar. I would never have set that goal for myself because I'm a realistic person, but I just have a blind faith of like, it's going to lead me somewhere good because I just like doing this. And I just, I just was enjoying every, some of the steps I didn't enjoy, but they always led to another step that I did, you know? Were you, were you always, let me, let me, were you always, I'm curious, cause like my, my regard for you, that's the reason why this is happening is cause I was like, if I'm gonna be in conversation with anybody, I gotta, I gotta holler at Reed cause I'm just so curious. Like you just really, it's like we watch, we're watching you, you know what I mean? We're watching how you craft, you've, I've, I've watched you craft all of these moments, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know you directly, I knew you through your work and, and literally every, the cumulative value of your growth is, is mapped in every film that you shot. It's like, it just got better, it was crazy. It was just like, it got better and better and better and better. And then you were like, okay, now I'm directing. And then it wasn't, and then it, and it wasn't like, okay, now I'm gonna direct and I'm just gonna direct this little thing. You directed something that blew folks away. You know what I mean? So I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, just process-wise, were you, were you subverting directing by shooting? Meaning that later you knew in your mind you were like, I'm a director. I just need to like get this cheese and take care of this family, and this is a good way of getting this bag. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this is like, I'm not, I'm not about this, because that's pretty. That's a pretty, I mean, that, when you left behind, getting that bag is pretty significant. There's a lot of residue. And then, you know what I mean? Like, what, what's, the, what's the process? And now, now, now you, you're, you're directing, continue to write, you're, you're a working director, a very successful working director. And you're also like, every now and then, you get in there, you shoot and you direct. And then when you do those two things together, it's also like, it's felt. So I'm just curious, so like, what was you? What were you planning? Like, what was during all those moments? What were you saying? Were you at the temp agency at the hedge fund? What were you? What were the conversations you were having while you were waiting for the date? Just literally sitting there, like trying not to get yelled at. Basically, um, I think when I came out, first of all, that's like the most, the highest praise ever. 
Um, so I'm just going to file that away in my brain and think about it later. It's true, though. It's true. Um, yeah, the admiration is so mutual. Um, I, when I, what was I thinking about? Honestly, there's not, a, it's going to sound weird, but I didn't have like a long-term plan. But I, when I went to film school, I basically thought I would write and direct because I didn't think I was technical. And I told the story a million times, but I realized when I got to film school and I had to make the films that I was directing, I was like, I don't really know what I wanna. I wrote my whole life until I got to high school and then I stopped writing. And then when I got to film school where I could just make, um, you know, where I could just make um, anything, I was scared and I felt like I think what I was, what was happening in my head subconsciously was all these other people looked around me, looked so confident. They all know what their story they want to tell. And they're only 18 or 19 or 20. And I'm like sitting there like kind of feeling inferior, like not kind of just feeling inferior. And like, I'm in my brain, it's just kind of like, I'm just trying to stay afloat in college because I went to undergrad and I, I was just trying to figure out like, how do I work this, you know, Ari SR2 or whatever, you know. I, basically what happened was though, is it just seemed less daunting to me to go and do, to shoot the movie, but also I was drawn to it. I can't explain it. I just saw what the DP was doing and I was like, that dude is the coolest dude on set. It could have been like a, it could have been like a little crush at that time, but the guy holding the camera and I've always kind of, I was never like that before. I wasn't a sporty person or anything like that in high school. I was literally like, not that person. And I was like, suddenly just, it was as if the thing that was inside me that I didn't know I had this need, I didn't know what it was until I had to be on a set and see it. And I think I was drawn to cinematography and I thought for a long time, I could just be happy being a cinematographer because I loved it. I love going on people's adventures. I still love shooting for other people because it's, it was just a way, but it was a way in for me into film telling, you know, storytelling in a visual medium. I think it was a great way for me in particular to learn because it gave me confidence in how to tell a scene visually. And so when I was starting out, I wasn't really thinking like, oh, I'm gonna be a, a director and then a mom who's a director and then like all these other things. I was sort of thinking, I don't know if I'll ever be able to direct, maybe one day. Maybe one day I'll direct something, but I never thought it would go that well. I never thought it would go well. I just thought I'm gonna make my mistakes. I was had a very realistic sort of point of view. And I when the time came to direct, which actually I didn't seek out, it came to me because I'm sure it's happened to you too, Brad, where people come to you and they're like, you should think about directing. You know, we have a great relationship with actors. You treat actors well, you respect your crew. It's like sometimes the DP is the person who is the is can be the shining example on set of of what the leader should be just because they've been on so many sets and part of that is knowing you have to treat your crew your product is only as good as 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 happy as your crew is and right. sometimes that's more important than anything in the end that really is more important is that every day you go to work and everybody's ha happy because i don't like feeling when people aren't and I can't live with myself. I've, I worked for many a director that seemed to be totally fine living with themselves while they made the crew miserable. And that, you know, but that's not my style. And so then when it came to me to have that responsibility on my shoulders, um, 
it was, it came to me a few times before I actually finally said, yeah, I'm going to try it. And there was a lot of factors that went into why I didn't want to do it right away. I think I was scared because I think as a DP, just for me, right. hiding behind my directors a lot, right. even though I was doing my best work, I wasn't trying to hide my work, but I felt safe in the hands of someone else being responsible for everything. And then I think there came a, a shift in time where I started to have more and more opinions internally and really that, realizing that no matter how well I did my job on someone else's movie, ultimately I was not in control of how well it would do in the end. And that could be heartbreaking too, I, I think for a DP, uh, you know, a plight of a DP or an AD, you know, um, or anybody in a, in a position on a set that believes in their movie. And I think, you know, for me, I, at, at a certain point, I was just like, you know what? Don't be, that was the other thing. It's like, don't be scared to take a step to do something. And that sort of applies to all the things we've talked about today. But to, you know, I, I was like, I'm afraid. I'm probably gonna suck at this. I'm, people are gonna tell me to keep my day job. But that's okay, I love my job. What if I hate it? What if I can't communicate with actors? What if I can't get a good performance? I felt in my gut that maybe I could, but I also, real, you know, I had advice from a lot of people being like, oh, you have to speak to them in this weird code and like all this stuff and like, but really you just have to be a human being. And what I realized was it was life experience that I was missing. Mm. So by the time I decided to, to be, by the time I felt comfortable to say, okay, I'm gonna try to direct something, it wasn't like a goal I had the whole time. It was just sort of like a sudden realization of like, I read a script and I was like, that moment resonates with me. Right. Meadowland, it was a moment where the main character is in the car and she finds the um, cookie from her son who was missing, but it's like a year later. She finds the cookie in the seat and she's so excited when she finds it, she actually eats it, but then it's gone. But that was being a parent. What being, what being a parent did was make me feel like I had a point of view. In right. a way. Wow, that's powerful. And, 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 it's, and it's really interesting Are you talking, you know, you, you went into, you segued into that transition because it is, you know, a, a questions that a lot of people have, like, you know, how, how do you make that jump? How do you know you're ready, you know? And, I mean, and, you know, you touched upon it all there. I mean, there are a lot of people who are curious in your mindset, questions that we got in was, you know, what was your thought process to make that move? And, uh, you know, I mean, I think you laid it out for everyone. And it's so interesting because, you know, for me, when I started out in the early 90s, the cinematographer was always this Bengali, right? Because he had these <laughs> tools and these things. And I remember when I was a young kid, I'd be like, what's he doing what, what what are they looking and you know the, the and it would be the only one and of course it's different now right where you almost see the you know we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the technology chef but back then it's like yeah i mean we got to trust that that thing's going to look great because right now on this little shitty nine inch monitor it looks like you know we wish we could get the met game on here it's terrible you know but you know so and then sometimes it'd be like and then it would be like two days later you know you'd go and you'd watch dailies you'd be like how the hell does that happen you know it was like literally it was they were, you know, they were Merlin, you know? So, um, you know, I mean, you know, and, and still are in a lot of ways. And, 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 and I find it even more for, it, it's very interesting because where I've seen the cinematographers progress is from being this Merlin-like figure that really just dealt with that to being storytellers now. Like cinematographers, you know, are more and more 
so involved with what the story is, how does the camera tell the story based upon what's on the page, you know? And I remember, you know, in, in the late 80s and early 90s, early in my career, it would be like, okay, sometimes the camera opera set up the shot with the director while the DP was, you know, figuring out, you know, where the exposure in the shadows was and this, that, and the other, and talking to his AC, it was such a very different thing. And I've seen cinematographers become these storytellers that are so important to a lot of directors, especially directors who are like, okay, I prefer, I can deal with the actors, you know, you, you know, tell me what do you think visually, the, how we're doing this here, you know? So, you know, it, it is amazing you making that transition. I think it's just natural because I've come across more and more cinematographers such as yourself that really have that, are storytellers. Right, right. Yeah. It ain't about the story, it ain't about nothing, honestly, you know? No. Yeah, when you get to that point, where it becomes less and less about what it looks like and it's about, it's about what it feels like, you know what I mean? And sometimes I used to think that there was a, a direct bridge between what it, what it looks like and what it feels like, but then I realized that that's not always the case. You know what I mean? I think the thing about what we under, what we sort of underestimate is the audience's ability to connect to the meta of what we give them. So sometimes they're not even connecting to the image, they're connecting to the process or the, the 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 steps it took to get to that resolve crystallized thing on the screen, you know, and that we are um, listen. Every frame is an extension of our story, you know what I mean. That's the reason why I know cinematographer. I don't care what people say. It's like you can appropriate, bite my style. Not me personally, but I'm saying you can appropriate and bite people's style all you want. But it's like you you're only going to arrive at what your ancestors have given you anyway. You know what I mean? And that's not that cannot be jacked from you. That is sewn into the fabric of who you are and it can not be snatched. And that is how we move forward. That's how we resist. That's how we make images. And so I agree, you know what I mean? I agree, I think, I think I, think I see something coming out of this new generation that is, I'm literally not looking at where the light's coming from because the light is coming from what you see on the screen now. It's like, those those tricks are gone. You know what I mean? People are, we're using less light. We're, it's less precious, you know what I mean? And it's more about what feels real, what feels authentic, what's immersive, what's, 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 what's mapping my mind's eye. And that is so that people can make, you remember your grandmother or that smell of your father's car, or you know what I mean? The light, the the smell of your, of your grandfather's carpet, or you know what I mean? the the you know the, the smell of your, of your of your aunt's perfume like those those are the things that people are trying to capture in film now and those are and that story of me I don't have to tell you that's my story I don't have to tell you that's what I'm doing to you but I know that's what I'm accessing every time I turn on a light or turn a light off turn it on and turn it off you know what I mean it's not about I want it to be dark or I want it to be I want it to look good it's like I want this to feel good I want it to feel right and you know and that's that that's that thing that we got Speaking from a, specifically as a cinematographer and read it, you don't have to even access this. You know what I mean? You can, you can, you can be like, no, I'm not gonna, but it's like speaking as a cinematographer, you know what I mean? I think that's the thing that, um, I, think that, I think that's the thing that is the missing link between us and like a total fulfilled euphoric 
experience. You know what I mean? Like I have musician friends, I have musicians I don't know that I love. I love watching and when I see them perform, I see them reach a certain level of euphoria. And in, in a sense, it's not any different. It's a group of people in a singular space making a contribution to give this complete resolved feeling, the sonic thing. And that is like, you just take the sonicnicity out of it, you put it into film terms and that's what we're doing, right? And oftentimes we're like, and I think this is, this is part of the collaborative process. So I'm not saying it has to be, this is somehow um, interrupts what we do, but I think that how, how, often, how often does a, um, a director say to a cinematographer, like, not, not, not that I don't know what I want to do with the scene. I need you to help me like figure it out. Not that, that's one thing. But how many times does a director say, I see in your eyes, you need to fulfill something. I see it in your spirit. I see it in the way you've been walking around set for the last four days. I see you need some healing. Take this moment right now to go there. Like, let's spend the extra whatever hour for you to like feel that euphoria. Cause I know directors feel it. You, you, you can tell us, you can tell. I, I, haven't, I haven't directed anything, but like, you can tell us like, yeah, that you, that, you know what I mean? Like that thing that when your hair is like, I don't, I can count on two, three fingers how, how many times that's happened to me. So I never interrupt that. No, 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 no. Go ahead, go, go, please go. I need to say, I, I think I know what you're saying. And I, in the things that I've directed where I've had, where I've worked with other DPs, I've never once stopped a DP from doing their process. And I've always said, take it as far as you want to take it. But that never really happened to me when I was DP. <laughs> and I think that's why I say it to my friend, to my, you know, my collaborators, because I understand sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. You get it stuck in a, in a thing or it's so close or you're trying to create a, a place that you want to go, a place you have a thing in your mind. You can't, it's not there yet, but you feel that it's, you're on the cusp of it or something. Right. And it's, it could be as simple as just one little detail that you haven't yet figured out. And yeah, there is, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's interesting how it's that correlation of, uh, you know, I can definitely tell when something's up with my right hand person, you know? And I, and I don't ignore it. I'm like, go straight up. I, I face it head on. I'm like, what's going on? Right, right. What do you need? You know, that's how people, that's how everyone should be on set really. Like not the attitude of assuming that what a person's, you know, dealing with, but more of like trying to accommodate rather than have everyone accommodate you. Right, right. The one, the, 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 the most amazing cinematographer, big brother, friend of mine. He lives one block away from me. Literally one block away from Peters. He's an incredible cinematographer. He's like the first cat that like said to me, we would, he would be, we would be talking about some young cats coming up and he'd be like, yeah, well that cat is sensitive. That's the reason why. And I was like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm a cancer, so everybody talks about me being sensitive. Are you, oh, you a cancer too, right, Reed? No, 
Oh, we are Pisces. Well, there you go. Aries, Aries. Aries, okay. Like the opposite, basically. Opposite, basically. But yeah, they were my growing up. Oh, you're so sensitive. You're so sensitive. So it's like that thing I'm trying to avoid. But you know, that's my like now. That's like, and I have a I have a cancer. So I have a son who's a cancer. You know, now I've real through him, I've realized it's a superpower. So I've like accepted my superpower. But like Sean is like the first cat. First of all, Sean is off the charts. His astrology game is crazy. He'll tell you that somebody before. <laughs> I'm very now that I passed the uh, age of 40. Now all I care about is what's that person's sign? I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Indeed. discrimination. Right. Yeah, with anybody. But like I am into astrology, so maybe I need to talk to Sean. No, no, you gotta talk to Sean. You also just gotta, yeah, you just gotta talk to him because he's inspiring. And he and he and he said he's like the cat is just like. I'm getting back to the whole sensitivity thing because he made it, he made me aware, even though I, you know, I was, I feel like I was already making strides or whatever. I was not strides in the sense of, you know, anything else other than beating my personal best, but like every film growing and seeing a difference. And um, you know, you get I get to the most violent year and it's like, okay, I'm okay, now I'm seeing some things happen, I'm feeling something. And then you meet, you know, I meet, and then I'm like in conversation with Sean more and more often. And he says to me, yeah, well, you know, that cat's work is great because that person is sensitive. And I was like, okay, that's the thing about cinematographers that are, that is, um, that sort of encap encapsulates everything that we have to bring to the table. We have to bring a certain level of sensitivity to the table. So, you know, how it is with a child, you know, kind of bringing it back to the family thing. It's like, when you have a sensitive child and you, um, two things happen, right? They either super, super perceptive and they get it. Like my six-year-old is so gracious. You know what I mean? Like he's super gracious. Like, and you know, it's, it's because of my wife, but, but his spirit is that he's a gracious cat. You know what I mean? And he gives a lot of space for me to go out into the world and try to get that moment, get that feeling, but also, you know, bring home the money for the almond milk, you know, but he like understands why I'm out in the world doing what I'm doing, you know. Um, but he's shown me a lot about being vulnerable and opening up, you know, and so it's that whole thing of being sensitive enough to accept and understand how life has some compromises and even in the process there's some compromise, but also at the same time, never apologizing for your sensitivity because it's that thing that we have that we have to and i'm not this is not this is beyond astrology this is past the astrology thing but as a cinematographer like our sensitivity barometer is all, has to be off the charts and so learning how to balance the two you know what i mean yeah. accepting compromise when you have to make it and not being so sensitive about that that you destroy what you're already building but at the same time being sensitive enough to know when something standing in the way of you realizing your full potential, which is basically all we're asking people to do is like, give us an opportunity to reach full potential. And that's, I think that's, as a parent, I think that's the thing I struggle with a lot is, um, and I think this is the thing I, we got, I gotta contend with is, I'm never gonna reach my full potential as an image maker if I cannot be with my family. You know what I mean? Like it's never gonna happen. And so right now I definitely have those moments where I'm I'm threat I'm threatening to choose between the two. But I also know that 
because I because I spend a lot of time, I have a lot of spiritual investment invested in the cinematography thing that if I'm not shooting, I'm probably gonna be disruptive for a while in my house because I haven't, <laughs> I'm not doing what my hands and my eyes were made to do. You know what I mean? I, I think that'll go away. And I, if, I, if I'm just a gardener or whatever I decide to do, like I'll, I'll find my space in that. But I definitely think um, it's really important that we, for me, it's really important that I try to find a balance and not be so um, decisive that one has to be, I don't wanna say this, that you, maybe I've already said it, but I need to tap into, which is what I'm trying to do now, tap into making the process when we go back more fulfilling by reflecting on this family time that I have and all the things that my kids are teaching me right now, you know? And that that sensitivity, that ultra sensitivity, I'm gonna bring back to going back to set, which is gonna be so, so difficult, honestly, that that may render something that I've been waiting to happen, you know what I mean? And so, um, it's a strange time, but at the end of the day, it's if it's if it's not about we said we said if it's not about stories, not anything. If it's not about it's it's Francis Ford Coppola, you know, it's the Godfather. If it's not about family, then what's it about? Right. You know, what's it about? I mean, that's what we do when we make films. We're making a family, right? So if it's not about family, then what are we doing? You know. And I think if you're taught, you know, we're like taught in this industry that like, you know, when a job comes, you got to take that job. There's no other alternative. And like, yeah, for a lot of us, there isn't because we were living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, forever um, or still are. And I, you know, I think you get into a habit even when you get past that to think, oh, I got to almost take every job. And um, you don't really know what you're missed. You don't know what you've lost by doing that. Um, and sometimes you don't have a choice and at least the very least you think is okay well at least i love my job and i i i'd like to say i'd like to assume that all the people that are watching this right now um they're watching this because they work in film and or they want to work in film and they love their job yeah. most people who work in film i think do love their job that's something we all have in common that's we're very very lucky for right and I always say on set, if I see someone who's grumpy or consistently grumpy or making trouble, I'm like, you don't like it? You don't have to be here. <laughs> My happy-go-lucky crew, you know? Um, I think that's the thing. We could do, you could do anything you want in this industry and you could, you could, you could do your skill in this job somehow. Um, but there is that mentality of you have to take every job that comes and you don't know really, I really know what, I had a, an idea of what I was missing out on, but I didn't know how good, like being having this time at home, I didn't realize that I actually went to another level of connection with my children that I never had, maybe since they were babies. Since, the, since they literally were breastfeeding because that's with our connection. I mean, now, I mean, this might sound crazy and people will judge me, but like 
I had a king size bed upstairs and my kids sleep with me. You know, when I was little, I always wanted to sleep in my mom's bed and she was like, no, get out of here. <laughs> like very smart. <laughs> my mom and I are super close, so it's fine. But um, she never let us sleep. You know, she occasionally would, but she also had five kids. So I could understand why she was like, I can't let one of you in. It's just gonna, it's gonna yeah. be a domino effect. <laughs> but I, you know, me and the dudes will sleep upstairs in the bed and yeah we get into arguments who gets to, who gets stuck in the middle and always Fletcher gets stuck in the middle because he's the littlest one wedding right. and, and gets angry and um lately Casey's older so he's been trying to sleep in his own room they have their own rooms you know right um the attachment there's like a new attachment forming where like I don't, at night, I don't even let them go to bed. This is gonna sound really bad, but like they're up at like, we have them up until like 2 a.m. sometimes. Not have them up, they just <laughs> go to bed because don't I just- Don't let my kids hear that. Don't let my kids hear that. Every minute I just wanna be with them. And I realize I don't like putting them to bed early even though I've been trying to watch like some uh, more violent movies. Finally, the other night we just put on The Five Bloods because I was like, I was like, screw it. And they were like, guys, like, and we were like, okay, cover your eyes. Like, you know, <laughs> their face. And they're like, next time you watch something that you'll let us see. And we're like, you really don't want to see that one part. Like, right. But what I, what I'm saying, I not very eloquently is that uh -huh. um, I have an attachment issue. Like, and I get really depressed when I have to leave them to go to work. And no matter how much I love my job and I know I'm like, so lucky, more lucky than most people because I love my job so much. And I'm so excited to shoot that film and tell that story and work with my crew, which I always have, make sure I have awesome people around me. And I love my crew who become like another family in most of all the best scenarios. But when, no matter what, even though I know I'm going back to like my posse, I don't want to leave and I get really in a mood. I get really depressed. I get resentful, resentful towards my producers, um, even though I love them, you know? Mm. But I'm like, you're taking me away from my kids. Why do I have to come early? Now we're gonna have to come even earlier with the two week right. and everything. And I get angry because, and I realize it's very simple. It's just because I just want to not leave those dudes who, you know, who I can, who, they, I don't want to lose these moments with them because they're getting older. I mean, my older son is basically has like a mustache now. <laughs> how, old is he? how old is he? He's 12. And we call him, I gave him a new nickname. It's called, we call him Total Mustache. <laughs> um, so be like Doug soon. <laughs> He's taller than me. Anyway, long story short, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying, and I, you know, I was looking in, I don't know how to put this into words, but I was like, Fletcher and I, just have moments and Casey where we just stare at each other now well I've been home you know at this during this time and I just get like we just stare at each other and sometimes I'm just sitting with Fletcher and he's working on his computer I'm working on mine and he'll just be like yes he'll be like guess what mom and I'll be like what and he'll be like I love you there you go Ooh, I love that one my six-year-old my six-year-old is the he's the he did not like that now he's all about that yeah now he just says he says I know I know what you're gonna say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We gotta savor this moment, man. We gotta, we gotta take full advantage. You know what I mean? Of this time we have, you know, um, it's important. It's important, you know. 
really important. You know, and the thing is that uh, that's in, that in this time, in, in this day and age, you know, um, technology's changed so much around all of us. And obviously it, the, the way that social media is, right? And two of you are so different, opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, in terms of Reed, you have a very huge following, her social presence, you know, a lot of people peek into her life a little bit, like what she allows them to see because of, you know, her footprint in social media where Brad, you're the complete opposite. You're crickets in the social media world, right? <laughs> so I'm curious, and a lot of people have, have, have written in these questions. A lot of people are curious about what you guys see in this day and age, pros and cons in, in you know, for both of you um, in the situations you're in in social media. Reed, why don't you start first? Uh, well, I noticed one thing, one big thing. If anyone's been following me for a long time, they might notice that I used to post a lot more photos. Um, if I'm away from my kids and I'm scouting, you know, I'll post photos. If I'm a, with my, when my kids were young, I would post a lot of photos. When I was a DP, I had the brain space to post a lot of photos, but and now I post a lot less photos because I don't want to post a photo unless I'm like, I take pictures not as I don't get to take pictures as often because I'm doing so much work all the time like I'm not trying to complain it just like is the reality like right now I'm especially after this conversation I'm just like all right maybe I'm just like not I'm just gonna like not take any meetings or phone calls or anything for like two weeks straight and just have like coffee talk with with you and Brad like every few days yeah I'm down um yeah, like I, I think, you know, the problem with social media right now is, is I like looking at it, but I also realize it sucks up my time. So I'm not on it as much. I am on it when I want, when I see something important on the news, I like to post it on my stories because, but then I'm, a, you know, you get worried. I definitely have a big, bigger audience fan base that doesn't, they don't maybe all have the same beliefs. So I have pissed people off before. Then I try to keep it just photos, but then you can't help yourself. And then you're like, well, if I have this many followers and I don't say something I believe in, then what's the point of having this many followers? You know, like, I don't want to be neutral anymore. I just want to be, say what I think because I believe in what I believe. But, you know, as far as the social media thing goes and, you know, Doug, I'm getting off track. It, there is a big responsibility with it. And, you know, I have a very high level of standards of what type of picture am I going to post? You know, um, what kind of, what am I trying to say here? You know, my kids don't really let me take pictures of them all that often anymore. So that's why that's a little, gone a little dry on that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's about, I think it's about having the creative brain space to, to, to do that. And I think what's nice is cinematographers on something like Instagram is when it's about the images that the cinematographers are posting and not about all the other crap. But then you just come into a time period where your priorities shift and then you want to make sure that everyone who's following you knows what you, you know, knows about this thing that you saw, just in case they need to know it. Yeah, I don't know what you know. I don't know if I'm really answering the question, Brad. But are you, 
talk to it. I well, mean, you have, I mean, you have, I mean, the idea, yeah, you know, it, was a, it was a tool for you, you know, and then it, it's evolved into something different now as you have evolved. I mean, that's how I see from what you're saying. You yeah. Know? Brad, what about you since you're, you're, as we said, crickets. <laughs> yeah. When are you going to get on? Just kidding. <laughs> You take over my account. You inspired me. I'm getting on tonight, man. I'm getting on tonight. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have, I have, um, um, how do I say this? I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I will, I, I'm gonna try to keep it light, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm dead ass serious that you know, I, I have a healthy. I feel like it's healthy. I have a very deep sense of, um apprehension and mistrust for our government and and this comes from not just some loose cannon conspiracy theory things floating in the air like I just feel like um I see for me COINTELPRO is real counterintelligence program is real you know what I mean like that was a program to design to extract information from us um, in spaces that we felt safe. Um, and that information was ultimately used against people that we love and adore and who were here to really help us live our total full human life. And I don't think we are at a point in this American project where this full vision they have about democracy um, is able to um, take its hands off certain spaces. And when the whole social media thing dropped, it was like the old man in me. And listen, I come, I come from a family that's had to like wrestle and tussle with that, you know, before I was born. And so I just always felt like if I need to make moves or I need to kick something off or I need to pivot or I need to do something that is, um, for the best interest of my community, my family, and my loved ones, like I don't want them to know where I am. I don't want them to put them to put my hands on me. You know, not seriously. That's like, I just don't trust it. And and I'm not saying ah, I told you so. This is like the aha moment. I told you so. But like you know, look at all of the ethical issues we are having about people aggregating your data. I mean, there's. I mean, listen, I'm. I, I, I my, I, I'm I'm not in social media, but I got like the the other ninety five percent of my body is engaged with a digital avatar representation of, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm off social, I'm I'm not on social media and I'm totally off the grid and I don't swipe a credit card or buy things off iTunes or use Google Sound or do all of the Siri. Like I'm checked in, I'm just as, a, I'm just as much as a, of a slave to that nonsense as everybody else. It's just the social media thing just felt like it crossed the line because it gave, um, I felt like it would then give people too much access to my DNA. Yeah. And um, I just, I respect it. Hey, listen, my wife is an organizer, a, a radical medical professional, a women's health advocate. She is about these children. She is about bringing these babies into the world. As a midwife, she's about raising children in a particular way. She's about making sure she's having shared experiences with other mothers and mommies who are doing the same, trying to raise their children 
most mothers are trying to raise their children in radical progressive ways, but like organizing mothers around, making sure these children are taken care of in times and places where it doesn't seem like they're gonna be, um, we know they're not always looked after. And so I see what, she, I see what my, my partner's doing on social media and they're, I mean, they're, they're subverting. I mean, they're, they're not asking permission for anything. They do what they gotta do and they, and they don't, they're not, they're not muzzled. They say what they need to say. They're radical people. They're, they came out of the organizing world and not, they're not afraid to share these ideas and that form. Um, so I know that there's like, there's a space to be subversive and really get what you need to get out of it. But I'm, um, <laughs> it's, like, it's like all the old dudes, all the old dudes I grew up with who were just like, my uncle, my uncle is a, my, he might be listening, but um, <laughs> my, my, he's probably not listening. He's probably not listening. But my uncle's an my uncle's like an organizer. He's my my like he's a revolutionary. You know what I mean? Like, and he took he used to take me to meetings and like organizing meetings. And they would you know before the meeting meetings would start, they would say you know hello. You know he was there would be people that were part of the organization. He would say hello to our organization members, and he would say and hello to the FBI because all the FBI agents were literally sitting in the back of the hallway. You know what I mean? And so like for me, that's like I'm probably gonna be that old dude. <laughs> I'm probably gonna be that guy telling my telling my sons like you know, did you see that guy at the grocery store? Look at the way he was pulling the milk. You know what I mean? Like that's that I know that's in me. I have the capacity to have that be that be that person. That's that's mainly why I'm not I don't do it, you know, because I really do wanna give sense. them um, Yeah, and I also felt like Instagram I probably could have gotten into, but but the whole Facebook, Twitter thing really repelled me. But the Instagram thing makes more sense to me, especially as an image maker. And I and I can't front, you know what I mean? Like you know, try. I have a lens company and we have an Instagram presence, you know what I mean? And I'm not, I don't have my hands on that because I don't know how to curate it. I don't know how to really, I don't know how to use the app. So I was nowhere I would be able to do it. But, um, you know, it, it was a space for us to express the people, our company ethos, and, and that we were, we're a company that's connected to more than just film. We're a company that's thinking about uh, lenses and film technology in a more musical way. And that these are the things we like and um, these are the, this is the kind of cinema we like. And we were able to put that up on an Instagram and really, which is so important for us as a company, connect to young people who we know have, have the same taste or have the same, who love Jonna Comfra and Haile Garima and Andre Tarkovsky and Kathy Collins and Agnes Varda as much as we do. You know what I mean? Like it was important that we let folks and young people in the world know that we, we're a lens company, we some old dudes, but we like the same cool stuff that young people like, you know what I mean? And that those those things transcend generation, you know, quality is quality. And that's kind of what we needed to communicate to the young folks we want to be in conversation with about optics. And that's not something you can write in a letter and send in an email. The way you can do that now is you got to put it on Instagram. So I get it, I understand. But um, I, th I think with the Instagram thing too, it boils down to what you said, Reed, it's like, I mean, I bought like a little Leica Q2 before the whole thing went down and um, I've been shooting some stuff. I've been, I had a moment during Ramadan where I was up every morning before prayer, like shooting moments and um, they're on my camera, you know what I mean? And I'm sharing them with a friend, one friend, but I'm so not sure about the images. 
<laughs> they're just sitting in my camera and only one friend and you know has really seen them and uh and he and i were and sean peters is the person we have we have an exchange and uh and you know it's probably not likely that i'm gonna shoot something with my phone and put it up you know what i mean i'm gonna like i'm gonna screw that photos right now that i've taken of the place that i'm in and like photos i've sort of stolen but i won't post any of them it was like crazy light like a whole bunch of times and i was like eh, nobody wants to see that right <laughs> i'm just like i have my standards are like too high now and i'm just like yeah it's that's beautiful but also it's shit and you know i'm not gonna post it and <laughs> Maybe I, it, but also there's like, you know, you can use it by, you know, now I'm mostly using my platform to do, I'm, de I'm definitely like posting a lot of my food that I'm cooking. On. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I just like to do that, that, that because I have a friend that I'm, that I'm directly sending those messages to and she knows who she is. Right. I believe I could cook. So she's, you know out of her mind over it. So anyway, but I think it's true though. We take all these photos and then you're like, uh, it's almost like you really be taking the photo for, you should be taking the photo for yourself. Right, that's it, that's it. Like yeah. everyone else thinks, okay, fine. Yeah, okay, that's only a few people like that photo. It's like, who cares? I hate that whole system. I'd rather just never know. I'd rather post what I want. But then also I'm more protective, like what you were saying before, I'm more protective of what I post now because you don't want people to know too much. I don't post locations as much anymore or if ever. Right. I have paranoia. I don't have an, an Alexa or a Google Home for those exact reasons you were just saying because I know for a fact that they are being, that all the information you ask of them, um, you know, even though my kids, it was mostly my kids just saying like, I hate you, Alexa, or I love you, Alexa, or, you know, we want to date me, Alexa, or, you know, whatever. They, it's, I wouldn't have that in the house because I'm so paranoid. But also weirdly that I still have this Instagram account. But right. I post less information. But um, yeah, I have been contemplating deleting it, just getting rid of it as much as one can. I don't even know if you can delete an Instagram anymore, really. That's crazy. That's what I'm saying. That's crazy. Go so off the grid. Yeah, I just feel like it, leave, it doesn't leave much. I feel like it just didn't leave. It doesn't leave much to the imagination. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like I always, always get the analogy that, you know, at a certain point in American history, slave rebellions were common. They were happening all the time. So much so that Jefferson Davis would write letters to congressional members and he wouldn't call them slave rebellions. He would call them Indian wars because he knew that if you called them slave rebellions, it would draw massive fear amongst <laughs> the slave owning population <laughs> and they would and they would realize that the whole game is over like that that the, the the system was falling but none of those slave rebellions were organized on social media they were organized quietly around fireplaces yeah and and around a fire and that the people around the fire agreed that they would never open their mouth you know what i mean and i think you know we're in a moment right now where we need a little bit of that we need a little bit of subversive, like check out, get off the grid. Let's start having some private conversations about how we're gonna make these changes, you know? And again, I say that coming from like 
that's me on that's me that's not checked that's me that's not on it you know what I mean like so I so it's almost like saying I didn't like the movie but I didn't see the movie you know what I mean but like that's just like my I got a feeling <laughs> I got a feeling about the film you know as you know everybody says I'm not gonna see that uh, yeah I'm not gonna see that movie I'm, or you're talking about the film like I saw the trailer and everybody's like, you didn't see the movie you just saw the trailer like, you talk shit about the film but yeah I kind of feel like but on the other hand I'd say the balance is that you know my wife is not playing around they don't play around they get organized on that thing and they they young people young people you know look you know they get they get organized on it and they figure out a way to um do what they need to do and not and 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 that thing not be interrupted by folks that will try to interrupt their efforts and so um it just it just strikes a note with me that i need I'll, I'll never get there. I'll just never get there with it because I'm just too ingrained. That 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 thing for me is just too real for me. It's too um, it's too crystallized in my spirit. Um, but you know, you can go you go see the movies I shot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how, that's how people can get to you. That's how they know. That's how you know. <laughs> you know, it, it, it you know it is. It, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, you know, like one of the things. I had shared with you guys earlier today was, um, you know, how our industry treated uh, the last pandemic that came through. And it was amazing to me, the historical article, how the industry, that's what created the studio system, right? Because mm. so many movie theaters went out of business that were individually owned, mom and pop, a lot of them owned by women and minorities. And it was an independent filmmaking scene in that vein that went on. Um, and then opportunists saw the way to like, you know, consolidate, right? And that's what created the distribution for the studios, right? The theaters then coming out of the pandemic when uh, theaters were closed for about three, four months and a lot of them went out of business. There was a consolidation that then created the studio distribution system. Mm. <clears throat> and I think, and I think, and I think we all think, and we're, everyone's trying to figure out how to be a part of this new change that we want to see like we've talked about you know coming out of this how we how 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 you know the idea of how 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 the work life should be the balance of work and home life the idea you know there's lots of ideas coming around now i mean here's the truth of the matter we've been declining in terms of how the theaters have been a distribution arm for the last two or three years significantly right the streaming services have really taken over um, eyeballs in a lot of ways. Um, we're probably going to have one of the major, you know, whether it's Regal or AMC is probably going to go bankrupt out of this, you know, and it's going to be another push in the direction of how the distribution um, is coming around. So we're on the precipice of another seismic shift in how our industry is run. And, it, it, and you know, it, it's going to be interesting people such as myself and you guys and others who have people who listen to us and younger people you know, when we can say to them, hey, now's the time, right? Not just socially, but professionally to maybe change a little bit of how the business is handled and run. You know, I mean, I think that's something interesting to see how and what that shift can look like. You know, and nobody has the answers just yet. I think a lot of people are trying to figure it out, but I'm telling you, there, 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 there's a change coming in, in a lot of ways, more so than we're just talking about how, you know, people want a better quality of life at work. And that's important. That's massively important, but I think that's going to lead to other things. I really do. Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Reed. My bad. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you go first. You go first. Mm -hmm. No. 
You read. I choose you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I mean, I think it's like, I have a lot of issues with the way things are run. I have a lot of issues. I had issues when I was a DP and not directing. And then I have issues now as a person directing and producing and studios and formats and rules and standards and you know obviously we need standards and we need these sort of protocols but you know I don't want to follow all those rules anymore you know and I don't mean the kind of rules that protect uh, us on the crew I mean the rules that come uh, that the rules that restrict artistry and restrict creativity and put um you know, put the, the, the business before the art. And I, I do think that there is, it, you know, what you put out there is what people come to expect. So if you're going to put out the stuff that costs, that is big, you know, all the stuff that costs a lot of money and this, maybe there's less effort into the story, but it's a lot more VFX and crazy and exciting. And believe me, I like, those kind of movies too but like where's the place for the cinema the reason why most of us who do what we do actually got into this in the first place like we're being used as tools to generate the most profit mm. and of course we want our films and we want our you know tv series and everything we want people to see them that's the whole point I realized the other day, I was like, people are ever gonna see, the only way people are gonna see my movies is if, if, if I shoot like a, you know, a big budget male action movie, you know? Yeah. That is the wrong attitude, obviously, that's not true. You know, like, like you, but how do we even as female filmmakers uh, break the glass ceiling? because everyone thinks if you're a female filmmaker, you only should tell stories about females, but then why do male directors get to tell stories about males and females? Right. Um, and why are all those unspoken rules like rules? And so anyway, I'm always trying to just break out of all those rules and make new rules, even though they're like, no, read, that's the rules. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously all the things on my slate I have coming up, they are like, you know, mostly female led stories because that's what I like to tell and people need to see more of, but I also think why can't, why does a woman, if she directs a superhero movie, why does it have to be Black Widow and Wonder Woman only? Like, why can't it be like, oh, you know, that kind of thing. And I don't mean to get into the gender part, but I'm just thinking about like a lot of the restrictions that are put on us as artists and not just about the gender, you know, parody thing and everything, but, is coming out of that that studio system. It's coming out of executives that are not just like old white men, but like women too. And they're afraid to lose their jobs. And that's why we're not getting to do the bold things we want to do. And they don't wanna put the money behind it or put the PNA behind it to promote those things. And now I'm just going off on a complete tangent right now. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that's all valuable stuff really. And I mean, and Brad, what do you, I mean, what do you think along those lines? Um, 
I think, you know, I mean, listen, I have, I have some real, I have some real feelings about, um, they're not private. I didn't have the Instagram. <laughs> like I have some real feelings about the structural reality in which we make films. Like I have a real issue with them because I feel like their point of departure is stems from an illness that we have. We have, our society has an illness that we, we actually love having a relationship with and we're having a hard time shaking it. And we're having a hard time. We've been having, we've had a hard time shaking it for 400 years. And so we're now at an interesting moment where we are drawing, we are really um, trying to unpack it in, uh, in on many levels. And people are getting organized in a way, um, in a really intense way. You know what I'm saying? In, a, in, in, a, in as, as a, as a, as a, as a, um, as a participant, but also as an observer, it feels very present right now. It feels very crystallized. Um, and I'm very uh, <clears throat> happy that things are moving in, pop, might be moving in the right direction. I say might, might be moving in the right direction. Um, but at the same time, I'm also like, um, I have no energy and I, had, I have no desire to um, do the work for people. I have no desire to try to teach people these things. I want folks to go out and take the initiative and do the hard work. And I also understand that was probably gonna require of us, was probably gonna be required of us in these times, which is always being required uh, by filmmakers who never, believed in the studio system, never had a desire to go there, but had a desire to be artists within the film space is that we are going to have to start making decisions where we're not going to be able to shoot projects. If we, if we want to change the structural reality, we, were not, we are not going to be able to shoot these projects, these tentpole projects, because they will not afford us the opportunity to be in harmony with the gatekeepers and the material that they present us. So if we want, different kind of story, alternative kinds of stories made in a different structural way, we have to do it ourselves. And we should not waste one more second asking people, folks who don't, who don't have knowledge of self, they don't know their own history, they don't understand what's even being said to them right now, they don't understand why the country's on fire. So you can't expect them to understand why it's important for them to invest in stories that give us the crux, the breath of human existence. They're not interested in it. They haven't been interested in that since birth of a name. They're not interested. You know what I mean? They haven't, they, and they're very clear about letting us know, I'm not interested in your story. I'll give you a few tokens to go out and tell those stories. But after that, I'm not interested in those stories. And so I think we have to, if you still want to make films in that space, and I'll go back to make films in that space, but you have to be real sober on what it's about. You have to be real sober on what it's about. Um, but if you're not making films in that space, you also have to be real sober about what it's going to be about, be like for you as well, which is that you're not going to be making two or three films a year. You're going to be doing like my mentor, my friend, the person that's inspired a lot of people in my community, Haile Green has made over the last 20 years, has only made five films, but they're, they, they're films that rock the world. They didn't just rock America, they rock the world. You know what I mean? Anybody that's bear witness to this man's films is shaped by his films. And he made a choice early on coming out of UCLA, two films that 
Critics Week at Cannes won Bushmama and Harvest 3000 Years, he made a choice after winning Cannes, when all of Hollywood came to grab, he made the decision that he wasn't going to do that. His decision is that he was going to come to Howard University and teach Black students how to be filmmakers. And he, he paid the price. He paid the price. He was not able to be as prolific as Spike. He was not able to be as prolific as John Singleton. You know what I mean? Um, but if you ask Ava, Barry, and a bunch of other folks who inspire them, they're going to say Heidi Garima. You know, and so, but he made the he made he made the sacrifice. He made the choice. So I have the I have an optics on that. So that's my conflict. My conflict is that I know what's right. What's right is that we should never ever ask these cats to give us an opportunity or never take a dollar for them to tell our stories because they're not interested in the stories that we're interested in. You know, they're interested in they have a very specific business proposal that needs to be carried through, and oftentimes it, it's at it's at the. Uh, it's at the uh, expense of our own humanity. And uh, I think we gotta get real sober on that. And I think we gotta get real sober on the fact that this moment is presenting us with a very interesting opportunity, which is that we need to collectivize ourselves. We need to gather ourselves in community. And I don't mean just like the hypothetical community. I mean, we need to get ourselves on a five square block radius of one another and start making films together and start telling these stories that we need to be told, we know have needed to be t told and we need to, we do need to do that now because as Reed said, when the studios come back, they're not, they're not gonna be trying to tell these little personal stories. They are going to try, and as you said, Doug, they are going to try to get that bag. They're gonna try to get that money. And our little tiny stories are not about, in the theater, in the theater space. Streaming is a whole other conversation. I feel like we need another two hours for that. But yeah, I'm talking about- That'll be the, the next, next episode. <laughs> Next, all right, but in the theater space, it's going to be about tent poles. It's going to be about superheroes. It's going to be about big explosions. It's going to be about things that we go to tell every now and then. Again, we agree to go in that space and we understand what it's about, so we're not conflicted about it. But I know that we're not reading. I, Doug, you, all three, the three of us, we're not going to fill up. I'm not filling up a career with that stuff. That's not happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do one of those every now and then. But I need to, I need, I need, I need to eat. My soul's got to be fed. And those opportunities are going to have to come from us. Yeah, you had a thought, Reed. What was that? I'm sorry. Oh, I think I was just gonna say it's like it does feel like right now, in this moment, obviously, the first films, the first things that start getting made when people are able to in a way that's safe. It feels like right now there's an opportunity like out of this experience, there should be some kind of an artistic revelation, like a renaissance of some kind, you know? It's not, this isn't the like craziest worst thing that's ever happened in history by far. It's just is what is happening in our lives right now in our lifetime. And it's like, we should take what we're all learning. Everybody's probably learning so much individually and like, right. you know, what is interesting right now, just from a businessy point of view, is that all those streaming, all those platforms, they all need material right now. And they're all gonna need material when we come out of this before those big things are made. And so, yeah, like right now would be a really good time to bang out that low budget independent film that take, you know, maybe there's a way to approach some of those streamers and say, I want to make this thing and make it for a, for a number and it'll be ready for you and you'll be able to put it on. And, you know, there's some things that, that 
are happening right now that there is an opportunity for that. And then there is the idea of the collective, which I think is super important. And I think right now, no, everyone is always afraid to speak out against the thing. They don't wanna bite the hand that feeds you and all these other things. But I just think, yeah, like we need them, we need the money, but they need us, they need our brains. They need our talent and our skills and everybody brings something different to the table. And they're real clear on that. Yeah. Oh, they are real clear on that. They're very clear about what they need to extract from your spiritual creative soul in order to propel themselves into trillions and trillions of dollars. Yeah, and then they'll extract it and then they'll go in and be like, and then they'll go in and put in their own ideas and you're like, it just doesn't work that way. They don't want to do the work. That's, that's it. At the end of the day, this is the, oh, this is the question we all have. They do not want to do the work. They can't. And then they, and then they try and then they, you know, and then it becomes muddled. And I think it, the reason why some of the greatest films came out of, you know, when we were young, mm. in the 70s and the 80s, you know, like, due to, those people were backing the artists and they were putting trust in the artist. And it, their, the perspective on that has changed. Nobody wants to support an artist unless everybody, unless 10 other people, you know, in, like have, have vouched for that artist. You know, nobody takes a bold move. Nobody's taking a risk, it's money and that's understandable. But why does everything have to be that huge to be, to be considered you know, a huge success. And it's also about like the popularity of it and who's gonna advertise that and put that out, you know, put that out there. And there's, you could sell your money, to, you could sell your movie to this company and then you sell your movie to this company and, um, oops, sorry, if phone was trying, call was trying to come in. Anyway, you sell your, uh, you know, you're moving to this little company thinking they're going to do right by you and then like your film just disappears into the ether and then if you're not one of the cool kids and you don't get to that company right it's like what can you do so yeah like on a level of messing up the system a little like i didn't like what i don't like how i have to uh you can't if you want to have a filmmaker make a big movie or you want to have a filmmaker perspective on that and then you're not going to let the filmmaker see that film through to the end then you never you wasted all your money that you paid for that filmmaker because you're diluting the filmmaker's vision because yeah. you know better but then why hire that person in the first place so I guess what I'm, I've always been saying and complaining about to, to other filmmakers is like, why do we have to do it their way? You know, like, if because I- we, have, we haven't formulated an alternative because we haven't formulated the alternative. We haven't, we, we also not doing the work. You know what I mean? We also are <clears throat> very, we are very clear about who controls the means of production. We may not have the language to express it, but we are very clear on who controls the means of production production and so we are we our, pro, our our whole process is colonized so we haven't figured out a way to shake off our colonizing and that's a difficult proposal and it's painful because what it means is that while we were working with the colonizer and we're giving the colonizer everything they want we're, we're greatly rewarded we get a check we get to take care of our families we get all these things but as soon as we realize that that's not 
feet and our spirit and we pivot the other direction we have to accept the fact that number one we haven't formulated a new model so we're walking into a deep dark hole and number two we are going to have to live without things and so this actually the silver lining of this moment is that from a very privileged space that stuff has been equalized and this is the moment where we have the silence and the quiet time to sort of reflect on basically what we've been saying read from the jump which is like the, the the crux of our spirit and our soul is our family we can't even spend time with our family so what makes, what makes you think you know what i mean like we do we don't even get that so but now we have it and, and we have to use i think we have to use this moment of clarity this moment of meditation to fortify a new process a new structural reality like right now white supremacy is on blast it's on blast and what it, why it's on blast is because it has determined the structural reality it's, it, it, what it did was it sold a bag of lies it said that only the owned would be pain but the owners thought that they would never be paying but that's not that's not that's never going to render itself true it's just a matter of time before that whole thing blows itself up and right now we're looking cap yo COVID is interesting because COVID put capitalism on blast it put the whole american project on blast it didn't even it didn't it didn't no 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 speeches had to be made when you look at the numbers right poverty is the evil and the people in this country that are stricken with poverty mostly are black and brown people so it put the whole thing about equality and all this nonsense it put it all on blast and it's also what it's also doing for us as filmmakers is putting our whole process on blast we ain't getting checks we're not most of us some of us are but most of us not and so now we have to now we have to take this moment to contemplate a new reality like i'm super conflicted like i'm very conflicted i'm don't the movie i was prepping i know i need to make that film because that film was headed in the right direction right but there's some other stuff that i'm really conflicted about about going back into that bucket of stuff and like i think this is the moment where we have to do the hard work to say we going back to ask our aunts and uncles to cut us $12 checks, every one of them, and that's what we make the film with? At least we'll be free. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? At least nobody's gonna ever say you can't be with your family because you're gonna make it with your family and your kids are gonna be welcome on set. Like to hear you say you were bringing your, kid, your kids to the set, like that just like my whole thing with you. I already had you up here, now you're in the, <laughs> you're in another, because like for me, I know what that takes. I know what kind of negotiation internally or maybe it didn't, but I know what that, I know, I know what's against that out there. You know what I'm saying? But the reality is there's another reality we could create, which is, it's never a question. Like, of course, cats are bringing their kids to set because we ain't doing nothing but making movies. Right. You know, we're making movies. We're not asking them to come to like brain surgery. Yeah. <laughs> they come into a set where cats are sitting around on their cell phone, eating donuts, making art and laughing and enjoying their, being with their friends. How come the kid can't be, how come the kids can't be yeah, on set? Anything they can't see, it's a closed set anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, listen, I got to tell you guys, um, this has been phenomenal. The, what you guys have been sharing, I mean, the stories and your, your, your inner truths, I mean, this has really been amazing. And I think, you know, it's been really inspirational for a lot of the people out there, you know, that have been listening to us because this is the kind of stuff where it's like, People aspire to understand, like they think it's like this veiled secrecy that people do these things. And, you know, you're both, you know, at this very high level in your field. And it's just wonderful for you to be able to share these moments, these experiences and these thoughts, you know, with everyone out there who wants to listen. And that's the beauty of this medium right now. Right. It's like the right. ability to be like, 
listen, we're, we're, you want to come and see what we've all got to say about this thing that, you know, you people want to knock the door and get into. It's like, you know, hard work, cream rises to the top, stick with it every day, keep going, you know, and, you know, try and tell the story that you want to tell. I mean, I think this is, this has truly been great. And um, I appreciate your guys' time. I mean, we were, thought we were going to go 90 minutes. We're over that. And we talked about maybe there's another conversation with you too. Right. I think, I think right. there is another conversation with you too, without a doubt. And um, one thing for uh, everyone that's left here, uh, uh, Darius Kanji, um, Bradford, uh, Darius, good friend of mine, is coming on next Tuesday. Bradford was uh, needling me to say, I want to talk to you and Darius. So we're going to do that. And, uh, and Reed, we're going to keep you in the loop because, I mean, you've been absolutely fabulous. And we'd love to be able to get you on another conversation sometime. Please, please, please. I'm I'm happy to. I was just thinking when we were all three talking, I was like, I was like, maybe we could just make it like a morning show a few days a week and we could just talk about anything. And yeah, then nobody will show up, but like we could at least talk to each other. And if they want. Yeah, the three of us is great. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, so this has been great and um, very helpful. And obviously, you know, uh, you know, for you guys who know and those of you don't out there, we've got, you know, Maria's been helping us us a lot on putting all of this stuff together um and she's kind of a very important behind the scenes person that's been helping me make sure that we've got all this stuff happening um as well as aaron and matthew that have helped kind of coalesce this whole movement and these conversations that we're starting to have so we just wanted to just say hello to the fellow people also who sit around the film round table currently behind the scenes but maria is gonna take the center stage at some point next week um but listen, everybody out there in virtual land, thank you for coming and enjoying with us. And uh, I agree with Reed. Maybe we can have a morning talk show. Just got to get with the morning events. Once everyone gets their their children thing out of the way, you know, since mine are 16 and 14, they get me out of the way. That's how it works. Okay. We're, like, we're like, we're over free. you, dude. Like, we don't care. <laughs> You're almost free. You're almost free. <laughs> I, I'm almost in what I call the expensive zone. Uh, <laughs> All right, listen. Thank you. Thank great. You. Goodbye, everyone. Thank, thank you, Reed. Thank you. No, thank you. Yeah, much love, y'all. Goodbye. Peace.